You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that So today, at least to start off, I want to talk about something um, a little bit... I guess it's just a different uh, statistic, and that's AV. And the main reason why is because Mr. Pat Thorman on Twitter, um, he posted something on Twitter. And essentially, well, let's start with what AV is. It stands for approximate value, and if you're not a fan of either uh, PFF or Football Outsiders or just want a different perspective, approximate value is a pretty popular way of calculating how good of a football player you are. I think the biggest problem is it's kind of hard to calculate depending on what your position is, and it might be a little bit more valuable in certain situations than others. But essentially, if I could try to sum it up, it's what you were able to do compared to what was expected. Now, again, this is easier to do if you're, for example, a running back. Because essentially what they do is it's it's a lot of data. So they'll take everything. I mean, I don't know exactly all the things that they take into account. And I think uh, PFR uses something different than some other places do. They have, I think, like PFF has their own PF or uh, AV. But it's taking as much data and statistics going back, I don't know how long, I mean, you would think going back further would mean more data, but it also is going to be skewed because football was different back in the 50s than it is now. It will probably give you some false data. Actually, it looks like it says since 1950, so already that's kind of a flaw in my opinion. But it, you'll look at it and say, okay, it's it's third and four, it's fourth down, it's it's, and you take all these different data points and you say, this is what's expected. And let's say you're expected to run 3.2 yards and you run 8 yards that additional yardage is going to be added. And every single play, things are added. And again, the problem is, in my mind, how much do you give to the guard? How much do you give to the center? How much do you give to the other guard, the tackle, the other tackle, the fullback or running back that was blocking, the tight end, the running back? How do you distribute all? I I don't know. But they do it. And so I know it's really popular. And I think this way of calculating things is going to be the ultimate way of doing things in the future. I just don't think it's the right thing right now. I think this is going to be the be-all, end-all at some point. But, you know, just calculating it based on its third and four on fourth down against this team and this weather and this stadium, blah, 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 blah. This is what's expected, therefore this. And we'll just kind of randomly distribute it to the guards and the centers or whatever. I think it's kind of a wildly flawed system. But again, it's extremely popular. And it's not terrible. It is nice to know what you consistent and and over a certain period of time especially again for certain positions like running backs quarterbacks whatever you can pretty well assume that if you have a high AV you're probably a pretty good quarterback I did talk about AV a little bit last year especially when I was going through the the playoff type stuff because one of the more interesting things is that um, Lamar Jackson at 22 years old was tied for the second highest season AV ever LaDainian Tomlinson is number one at 26. In other words, he got a score of 26 in a single season. Marshall Falk, Lamar Jackson, and O.J. Simpson are the only three to ever get 25. Lamar Jackson did it in his 
uh, second year as a quarterback, first year, I think, as a full-time starter, again, at the age of 22. LaDainian Tomlinson did it at 27, Marshall Falk was 26, O.J. Simpson was 28. The only other 22-year-old to be even somewhere on this list was Pat Mahomes, and he got a 22 overall at 22. So I was I was kind of explaining it at that point to show how unbelievable, at least according to this metric, Lamar Jackson really has been. In other words, one of the greatest seasons, if you believe heavily in this metric, this is one of the greatest seasons by any football player in the history of football. LT in 2006 and Marshall Falk in 1999, um, and then OJ Simpson in 75 were the only comparable seasons. If you look at 2019, um, the top in AV, Lamar Jackson, uh, Stephon Gilmore, Marcus Peters, Minka Fitzpatrick, Ronnie Stanley, Michael Thomas, Tredavious White, Cam Hayward, Dante Hightower, Pat Mahomes. So again, good players are probably going to be getting at least positive grades, but there are also some big differences between this and, for example, pro football focus. So anyways, that's that's more or less what it is. And, I, and again, I know some people really, really like it, and they kind of treat this as the be-all, end-all. And again, I think in the future, this is going to be the be-all, end-all, but it's not going to be calculated simply by looking at historical data. I think this is really going to take hold when machine learning kind of takes over. I know one of the things that's already happening is they're starting to use software to track, for example, like after the play snaps, after the ball is snapped, every single player mapping where they are, what they're doing, etc., etc. And so rather than judging the expected yardage on the play for the running back prior to the snap, it should be calculated after the snap. And that's part of the reason I like PFF more than I like AV. PFF is looking at what happened on this play. AV is looking at what happened historically on this play and then how you did compared to historically. Well, historically doesn't tell me what happened on this play. Again, if you're regularly beating more than expected, you're probably a pretty good football player. But for example, if it's a third and and one, and for whatever reason, you're absolutely expected to get it on this play. But on this particular play, the defensive coordinator calls a blitz from the safety right in the gap that this running back is expected to go, and he gets lit up behind the line of scrimmage, AV is going to look at that and say, you know what? You are garbage, because you easily should have got that. PFF is going to look at that and probably say the running back did not do anything necessarily very wrong. Maybe there was a running back who was supposed to pick up that block that did not, or a a fullback or whatever, that was supposed to pick up the block and missed. So they're going to get negatively graded. The running back is not. You see my point. Now, the, the better way to do this would be to look at sort of an AV thing, but say what is expected from the running back based on the current situation. And in this situ, in this case, the current situation is a safety is two inches away from you with his shoulder in your stomach. What is expected? You're expected to go down. Now, a, a, a broader way to look at this, and again, I think PFF does this to a point, but I, I think, I don't think you can compete with computers, right? I mean, and, and, and data sets. I mean, crunching billions of numbers per, you know, second on a second-by-second basis. So let's take that exact example, but instead of making it a third and one or fourth and one, say it's first and ten, and you're expected to get four yards just because. And that same situation where the safety comes up, but you're actually able to dodge the safety, which let's just say there's a a 3% probability that you're going to dodge that safety. You do so, you end up picking up two yards. Again, AV is going to look at that and say, you should have got four, you got two, you're garbage which is dumb because that doesn't take into account the actual situation. 
I don't know what PFF is going to do. You're probably going to get a higher than than expected or a, a relatively good grade. The better AV, which would break down the situation, again, making calculations literally based on where everybody is on the field. So they would be looking at the position of the players, what the angle of the players are, and then, again, in that moment, they would make a calculation. The probability at that moment of you getting any yards is basically zero. In other words, the expected yardage is zero yard. If you get two, you got a plus two, whereas the current AV would be negative. Is any of this making sense? But also, I'm, I'm really excited about what I think the future is going to be. They're already kind of, they have things like this, but you kind of need to have it and then build out the data. In other words, you need a lot of data. You not only need the technology to track everybody, but you need to build in the what is the expected, and you only get that from historical data. So you would need to run your software on football games going back for a very long time. But that's going to be, I think, in my opinion, the be-all, end-all. I mean, you can do that even for offensive linemen, right? I mean, it, even even not super great defensive linemen have good days or good plays and if you're able to watch where they're able to just shoot off the line and just get a great angle or whatever you you can the computerization of this model will be able to look at it and say okay based on the angle of this or that or whatever the the expected success rate for this guard is pretty low so i I don't know i'm i'm just i'm semi nerding out for a minute and i'm probably not explaining it very well but I, i really think that when that all gets ironed out there's going to be a a live AV version that is all computerized and literally can break down expected whatever for each player on a literally second-by-second basis. What is the expected from here and what are you doing? And at the end of each play, going to have a value for every single player that you can... The current AV, again, I I don't really trust it, especially for linemen or whatever. But after uh, completely obliterating it, I might as well bring up the fact that... um, as Pat posted it on here, I guess via Mike Reese. I don't really know. I don't know what HT means, and I don't really care to look it up. If you look at the AV, which is the um, cumulative career approximate value of every player drafted since 2000, the Green Bay Packers are the highest of any team, which is to say, in essence, the Packers have done a better job drafting than any team in the 2000s. Now, you can try to poke holes in it and say, well, that's mostly just Aaron Rodgers. Okay, but he drafted Aaron Rodgers. A lot of people have been drafted. And again, this isn't a nothing metric. And when you factor in the fact that the Packers have been drafting at the end of the first since forever, that's pretty solid. I also think it's important because it's kind of similar to the whole Brett Favre thing. I've mentioned this before, but I, I grew up in Illinois. There was a time that Brett Favre was routinely brought up as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, including by Chicago Bears fans. I remember being in school and and Brett Favre being one of the untouchables. In other words, there's no reason to argue. When when you're going to argue about Bears versus Packers, to bring up Brett Favre is no good, even that was somewhat off limits by a lot of Bears fans. Sometimes because it's just silly and sometimes because it was just a matter of respect, Brett Favre is one of the greatest. For some reason... Um, largely because of the way his career ended. With the Packers, it's he just his last couple years were not very good. Billions of interceptions. Then he went off to the Jets. Not only was he not very good, but he kind of made a clown of himself, and there were scandals and everything else. Then he went to the Vikings and um, continued his streak of horrific interceptions. And you know, although he took the team to the playoffs, whatever. The the bottom line is, 
people seem to remember the end of his career much more than the beginning because the conversations that were being had in the 90s about Brett Favre, you know, early and late 90s, is that he's one of the greatest ever. Nobody really has that conversation anymore. And when you put him on one of those lists, especially for younger people who don't, maybe weren't even alive in the 90s, I don't know, they think that you're crazy. Why would you bother putting this guy in here? The guy just did nothing but throw interceptions because they don't know. They didn't live through the 90s. They never experienced what it was like to sit back and watch a Brett Favre game. And I kind of think Ted Thompson's getting a little bit of that treatment as well. There, there was never any question for a very long time, one of the greatest drafting GMs in football was Ted Thompson. He, he, was, he was a guru. But because things kind of went south toward the end, people kind of think he's a, a, a bumbling dummy and was never a good GM. And that's including some Packers fans, which is kind of disgusting. If you even look at these comments underneath there, they were making all kinds of excuses. And if we look at just Ted Thompson's years, right, 2005 to 2017, and we sort it by AV, you've got guys like Aaron Rodgers, Clay Matthews, Josh Sitton, Jordy Nelson, David Bakhtiari, Greg Jennings, TJ Lang, A.J. Hawk, Randall Cobb, Darren College, Brian Balaga, James Jones, Nick Collins, Casey Hayward, Marshall Newhouse. Marshall Newhouse. Uh, <laughs> to be fair, some of this A.V. is cumulative throughout their career. So, you know, Cincinnati, he played two years for the Giants. He played a year for Oakland. He played a year for Buffalo, Carolina, New England. So it's, it's cumulative over his career. Um, and he has played a lot of games. Not very good, but it's, you know, I, I, that's, again... Slightly flawed system, especially for offensive linemen and whatnot. Uh, Devontae Adams, just going to skip nonsense like Lawrence Guy. Uh, Corey Lindsley, Mike Daniels, Eddie Lacy. I'm just trying to show you that, I mean, the guy's done a good job. Also, the idea that he doesn't do well in the early rounds. I, I, I've been saying that for a long time, so I'm not trying to pick on people. Because, they're especially, again, especially down the stretch, some of these early round, especially first round defensive players, just not good. Although, Kenny Clark. But, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, Clay Matthews, A.J. Hawk, who you could call a bust, but he's a decent enough player, Brian Balaga, HaHa Clinton-Dix, B.J. Raji, Kenny Clark, uh, eh, skip a couple of these so-so guys. Um, but, I mean, he, he did well. And then if you want to just say early rounds, Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, Randall Cobb, Darren College, Nick Collins, Casey Hayward, Devontae Adams, Eddie Lacy, Morgan Burnett was third round is kind of early-ish. Um, you know, just there's so many guys. Drafted Micah Hyde in the fifth. Mason Crosby. James Starks in the sixth round. J.C. Treader in the fourth. Johnny Jolly was a sixth-round pick. Johnny Jolly, solid player. Had some issues, but solid player. Dean in the fourth was decent. Desmond Bishop in the sixth. Aaron Jones in the fifth. He's brought in some studs. There's no question about it. And you could probably say, well, you could say that about any team. Really? Let's do the Bears. Same time period. Number one, Matt Forte. Fantastic football player. No question about it. His career AV was an 81, though. I don't even think he'd be third or fourth on the Packers list. After that, it drops down to 58, Greg Olson. That was entirely because of the Panthers, so that doesn't even count. After that, Alshon Jeffrey. Think about that. Second best player since 2005, according to career... AV, which by the way, he's currently racking that up with other teams, is Alshon Jeffrey. He's not a bad football player, but do you hear the names that I just listed? 
Next on that list is Devin Hester. Unbelievable kick returner, but oh my goodness, we're talking about a kick returner number three overall. Kyle Long, decent guard. And then Kyle Orton. Chris Harris, Kyle Fuller, Jordan Mills, Daniel Manning, Charles Leno, Corey Graham, Cedric Benson. Oh, this, this, is, the, this is the history from 2005 until 2017 of the, of the Chicago Bears. And Eddie Goldman, Jamarcus Webb, Eddie Jackson, who had one good year, as we've said, Chris Conti, uh, Mitch Trubisky already, who's got a, a career AV of 27. He's 18th on this list, and it's even higher because, again, you got to take guys like Greg Olsenoff, who had great careers with other teams. So, no, you can't just do that with any team and say every team from that period to this period has had great Hall of Fame-type players. Nope, they haven't. The only guy that would you would even consider putting in the Hall of Fame would be Matt Forte on this entire list, unless you're going to put a kick returner in there or, you know, whatever. I mean, the Bears might put them in their Hall of They should. Forte 100% is a Bears Hall of Famer. Hester, Hester should be a Bears Hall of Famer. I, I don't know who else on this list would even be a Bears Hall of Famer. I mean, it's not, not that hard to break into those things, but geez. This is a nightmare. Anyways, I want to play with this a little bit more when I have time to kind of sit down with Excel and, and mess with mess around with it a little bit. However, I did this morning just have a little bit of time, and I wanted to see, all right, the last two years, and again, PFF is a, a different thing, and I, I might compare this. Maybe that's what I'll do for tomorrow is, is get some different metrics for who's drafted the best in um, you know the last two years when since Gutekunst has been drafting. But according to AV... The Chicago Bears have drafted the best. The overall AV, and, and again, the other issue with this is if you have, and I'm not saying the Bears do, but if you have more picks, it, it's not it's not average AV. It's not AV per player. It doesn't take into account how early they were picked. I'm not doing any of that. The question is, how impactful have the players you've drafted been, period? No other qualifiers other than that. Chicago, they have as number one. So why are they so high? Well, the... Um, highest AV guy that they have is Roquan Smith. Now, again, if you think AV is the be-all, end-all, then Roquan Smith is a very good football player. Now, as I've been saying, he isn't a good football player because that's PFF's assessment of him. And as best as I can tell, Football Outsiders doesn't have a metric for linebackers, so I can't... There's no tiebreaker ability here. But they have Roquan Smith being a very good linebacker. James Daniels, who is a good football player... And then uh, Bilal Nichols, which is odd, um, both above 10 AV. The second highest team, according to this metric, is the Packers at 52. They have Jair Alexander over his two years at 11. So again, this is how they have Roquan in his two years at 16. They have Jair at 11. Then they have Marquez Valdez-Scandling at 8. Again, I'm not super high on this metric. Although, who else would it be in the last two years? And, and as bad as he's been on a play-to-play basis, he's had some pretty big plays. And he was thrust sort of into that, that role. Third, they have Elton Jenkins at seven. Darnell Savage at five. Again, remember, this is cumulative. Those guys have only had one year. So if you look on an average year-to-year basis, Elton Jenkins is actually ahead of everybody. Right, because Jair sitting at about five and a half. Marquez is sitting at four. Elton Jenkins in his first year, they gave us seven. So they really like him. Darnell Savage, a 5, which basically puts him in Jair territory. Josh Jackson, a 5 over two years. Then Oren Burks, then J.K. Scott, then Rashawn Gary, then Equinemius, then Hunter Bradley, then Kingsley with a 1, Ty Summers with a 1. 
Jace, they gave a zero. Kadar, they gave a zero. Dexter, they gave a zero. Jaymon in two years has got a zero. J blah, 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 blah. James Looney, Cole Madison, Kendall Donerson, all zeros. Then they have Minnesota and Detroit tied at 49. So again, it, it's not, I don't want to act like this is a completely useless metric. I just think it's it's impossible to completely accurately calculate these things. And really all they're talking about is how did you help or hurt, I guess, the team to be better than expected. So again, a lot of people like it. If this is your thing, then there you go. Some pretty useful information. Again, tomorrow I want to kind of look at this a little bit more in depth. One of the things that I've done in the past is really try to, and it's very hard to do. I've done it the last two years, and I'll try to, again, get it done this year, is more accurately look at how good somebody has been drafting, which means taking into account how many picks you had and how early the picks were. So sort of an expected value based on how good of a, how high of a pick it was. And so it's sort of average expected value compared to actual value, if that makes sense. But anyways, I thought that was a nice little rabbit hole to be able to see. Again, with a lot of qualifiers, uh, the Packers have been, in a sense, the best over the last 20 years at drafting. And so I know... <laughs> I know you're probably confused as to, to what it is my position is. I, I, I think it's fair to say the Packers have done a very, very good job drafting. I, I can't say definitively they've been the best. Although I wouldn't be surprised because, again, this was Ted Thompson's MO. And the Packers in general. They're a really good team when it comes to drafting. And I don't think that's necessarily changed. No, it's, you know, people say it takes at least three years to figure out how good of a draft a draft class was. So we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of how good of a job Brian Gutekunst has done. But I can tell you right now, um, just looking back over the last two years, regardless of what AV says, from PFF's perspective, they're not at all impressed with the last two years for the Chicago Bears. According to them, looking at Chicago Bears linebackers, the best linebacker that they had was Nick Kwiatkowski, was the 16th highest graded linebacker that they had. The second best linebacker, according to PFF, in 2019 was Danny Trevathan. And then third was Roquan Smith, who graded out 75th overall. His overall grade was a 52, which is below average. So AV likes him, PFF does not at all. Basically, they have him as a good tackler, but terrible in every other metric. Really bad in coverage, really bad overall in run defense, really bad as a pass rusher. And this was not different last year. So, you know, and again, this it, it's it's been two years. There's no reason to believe he can't take another step. But this is also, if I may segue now into something else, because I feel I've exhausted the AV conversation. This is also what makes me nervous about these, not just first-round linebackers. Because it's kind of a silly thing, right, to say I don't like first-round linebackers, but I like second-round linebackers. It's It's a little bit silly. However, there's a prototype. Roquan Smith is a prototype, and I've said for a while, I just don't like that. I, I, it was unanimous. Roquan is the man. He's going to be a freak. He's this great linebacker. And I said, I don't get it because he's so small and he's so soft. How could you have a linebacker like that? So I'm wondering if this prototype is somewhat of a failure because Devin White is just a couple spots below him. Devin White is the same thing. He's Roquan Smith, but was supposed to be even better. And again, it's been one year. We'll see. He didn't grade out positively in any one category. This guy was taken in the top, what, five? Yeah, fifth overall. So again, it, it just makes me very wary. Because Patrick Queen kind of fits that mold a little bit. He looks like Roquan. Actually, that's a lie. He does not. I like him significantly more than Roquan. 
However, he does kind of look like Devin White, a lesser version of Devin White. And so I, I guess we can play this game with everybody. Every position's got, got people that looked solid that didn't pan out. But again, it just makes me nervous. These smaller, fast guys that are supposed to go running around playing cleanup. Roquan Smith is six foot one, 225 pounds. What in the world is this guy supposed to do? And actually, I lied. He went significantly backwards in 2019, which I would be scared if I was a Bears fan. Because remember, 2018 was the year in which everybody played better than they, even their own ability because of the system. Because everybody was helped by everybody else, and it was like this feedback loop in which everybody was better and better and better and better and better. It was just a dominant unit. And so the fact that in that environment, he had a 67 overall grade, he was solid in coverage, decent enough pass rusher, and a solid tackler, and then went significantly backwards like the rest of his team did in 2019. Usually you get better after your rookie year, but what if your rookie year is is like the Bears in 2018? Is it possible that that was going to be his best year? And by the way, the whole Roquan was hurt thing, it... People do this weird thing where if you get hurt at any point in the season, the whole season doesn't count. The guy tore his pec in week 14. The only other time he was on the injury report that I can find was week 5 for personal reasons. It wasn't even an injury. And, and by the way, if injuries are an issue, maybe it's because he's 225 pounds. I mean, it's not the greatest excuse in the world when you're 225 pounds. Well, he's injured all the time, so that's why he's not good. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I'm wrong. You're right, he's a stud, because if he wasn't hurt, I mean, it's, it's the Kevin King thing, right? Well, when he's, when he's healthy, he's a freak, even though that's never been the case, but, you know, slash Christian Kirksey. When he's healthy, no, he's not good when he's healthy either. Again, that's just this weird thing people do. Well, he's been hurt, which is the only reason he's bad. So, therefore, I know when he's healthy, he's good. That's that's math, man. That's science. That's how that works. If you got hurt once, that's the whole reason that entire season was bad. And when you're healthy... I mean, except the times when you were healthy and, and, and didn't play good, then then you're good. So, great football player. But this past year, when he was healthy, which was, as far as I can tell, pretty much the whole year, week one, garbage. Week two, not good. Week three, garbage. Week five, not good. Week seven, not good. He had a good game against the Chargers, though, and then was absolute garbage against the Philadelphia Eagles, which, you know, when you see what the Eagles did to us and the way that they utilized their offensive line, I'm willing to guess that offensive linemen were able to get to Roquan, and he's done when that happens. Because if you've ever watched him, you know that as soon as somebody puts a hand on him, I mean literally anybody, the water boy could go out and push him in the chest and he'd do a backflip. Um, and so he got wrecked in that game. Then he had a two-game stretch where he played kind of well, Detroit and L.A. He had games in the 70s, so good, not great. And then he was just bad. The Giants, Detroit, and Dallas, no good again. That's Roquan. According to PFF. If you want to, again, go by the AV metric, then he's just an absolute freak. You say, well, forget about the grades. What about the stats? Well, Roquan is sixth in tackles. However, if you sort this by um, minimum of 50% of the, the highest end of snap, in other words, you're you're playing a lot, like you're an actual starter, there's only six guys from that 2018 draft class that have played, um, I don't know, roughly 600-ish snaps. Roquan Smith is six out of six for tackles. So I, not that that matters, but some people get all whiny about what about the stats. Stop talking about grades because the grades are well, whatever. I can't please everybody. Um, if you look at coverage, he does have an interception. However, every single player on this list of six, with the exception of Rashawn Evans, has an interception, including Darius Leonard, who has five interceptions. 
He also has one pass breakup. Again, everybody has a pass breakup except Darius Leonard, who, again, five five interceptions, which in my book, that is a pass breakup. But, you know, he doesn't just smack it down. He literally intercepts everything that comes into his zone. Um, but he has one. Rashawn Evans has one. Tremaine Edmonds has four. Jerome Baker has three. Fred Warner has seven. So I don't know. I mean, the only real way to form your own opinion would be to actually watch them. If you have Game Pass, which I think still is free, I don't know. Just go watch some Bears games. I'll, I'll be honest, when I watched the Bears linebackers against the Packers, not necessarily keying in on Roquan, but I wanted to watch the linebackers. I thought the linebackers did a good job. That they were very aggressive and um, kind of kept the Packers' run game in check. But you go ahead and figure that out for yourself. And to be fair, the problem is I was comparing it against the Packers, which is Blake Martinez by himself, which I said two negative things in that one sentence if you caught it. But um, if last look here, if you look at the guys drafted in the last two years, linebacker, and this isn't, it's, it's not just an indictment on um, Roquan, it's kind of just all of them. The only one with a positive grade that has been a, a starter, again, we're talking, you know, in 2019 played starter reps. The only one with a positive grade was Darius Leonard. The only one. Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw, Devin Bush, Jelani Tavai were all average. Tremaine Edmonds, Cole Holcomb, Roquan Smith, and Devin White were below average. Rashawn Evans, Jerome Baker, and Mac Wilson were all just bad. And I really liked Mac Wilson. Not liked him in terms of I thought he was going to be a great linebacker. I liked him in terms of he was my guy because he's just a violent football player. And I understand that's not how this works in the NFL anymore, but I, I don't care. I just, I like it. I like a guy with some, some smash to him. Plus, he's a Brown, so, you know, it's not a great environment. Anyways, why don't we take a break and uh, talk about a couple other things. So one of, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a fun kind of thing. Matt Miller puts out his scouting notebook, and he's got the latest 2020 draft rumors for every NFL team. Now, unfortunately, the Packers um, one is a little bit underwhelming <laughs> because here's, let me just read it in its entirety. Uh, it says, even after adding Devin Funches, receiver is an early need for the Packers. Everybody already understands that. He also doesn't say anything as far as an inside source, so this is just him speaking about what everybody already knows. He goes on to say, one very well-connected front office member from another team mentioned he's heard the Packers will consider a quarterback in the first two rounds. Couple problems with this, and um, I, you know, I don't know if Matt just didn't think this through, or you know, it's hard to get rumors for 32 teams. So if you get a quote-unquote very well-connected front office member from another team to mention something, you just you put it out there. Couple things, as I saw Aaron Nagler pointed out, and I don't have the tweet. In, well, maybe I do. Let me check. I do not. Something to the effect of he literally said this into a microphone. Brian Gutekunst he's talking about. So. That's problem number one. Now, the, the next question you would ask is, okay, but is this more than that? Because that's just him saying, yeah, well, you know, I mean, we, we always consider quarterback. We're always open to it. Is this somebody saying, no, 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 I've heard the Packers are very, very, very interested. They want to acquire a quarterback in the first two rounds. Maybe that's what he's saying. However, the exact quote is, he's heard the Packers will consider a quarterback in the first two rounds. Another issue that I have with this. 0.000% chance that the Green Bay Packers, first of all, have decided that they're trying to find a replacement for Aaron Rodgers and then leaked that to another team. 0% chance. We can't get information from the Green Bay Packers because nobody ever talks. 
you've heard stories about guys like Russ Ball and Gutekunst and some of these other guys. They literally cut off communication with their own family members. They don't talk to their own brothers and sisters and whoever because they don't want any information getting out. Or if, if they talk, it's not about football. And if you have brothers and sisters, families, friends, whatever, that are in the NFL business, you don't talk. Period. No conversations take place. So the idea that the Packers are loose-lipped about this and that got all the way to an NFL executive, which, by the way, why would it even matter if you're a well-connected front office member? I mean, wouldn't everybody have picked up on this at some point? I mean, if it's because it has to go from this guy to this guy to this guy to this guy to this guy before the Bears or whoever pick up on this information. Because, again, the Packers aren't going to call the guy and be like, dude, look, here's what we're thinking. Don't tell anybody, though, all right? We're thinking about moving on from Rodgers. Uh, you know, I just I just needed somebody to talk to and, and, and talk about my feelings a little bit. I'm a little conflicted. It makes me sad. But also, I want to be my own man, you know. i got to get my quarterback. You know, I want to get my Favre or my Rodgers. I just, you know, I want to get my guy here. Anyways, Pace, uh, just wanted to talk to you, and I, I hope I can rely on you being uh, discreet about our conversation. And then he goes and calls Matt Miller and is like, hey, man, put this in your scouting notebook. I mean, the whole thing is kind of silly. Now, it sounds good because, he's again, he's making calls to his connections, and he does have connections. The problem is this is dumb because this connection is just talking about what he heard on the television, and I, I think that escaped Matt. So that, that wasn't, a great, um, <laughs> wasn't a great insight. Now, I, you know, again, there is a slight chance that maybe this means they're a little bit more interested than, than in the past, and, and we, we should even know that. That really shouldn't even be a question to us because every single year we should be a little bit more interested than last year because we're another step closer to we need to find a replacement. I think the bigger problem for me is I just don't like really any of the quarterbacks. I've, I've gone back and watched Love, and I'm, I'm convinced that he is Mitch Trubisky. You watch him, and he, it just makes sense. I mean, you can understand why, and, and there's been rumors that the Packers have talked to Love, and they've, they've really there, there feels like there's a, a desire, and he kind of makes sense for a Matt LaFleur slash modern NFL offense type system because when you watch him, he's sort of a, a technician. He's not what you see with a lot of other guys with these big this big arm downfield throws. He's the kind of guy who finds the open guy right in front of his face. He's the anti-Aaron Rodgers. As much as you'd almost want to make a case that he's kind of an Aaron Rodgers, you know, he's running around throwing off his back foot, Pat Mahomes. No, that's nonsense. He's a dink and dunk guy, and he does a phenomenal job orchestra- closer to Tom Brady but with a little more athleticism. There, there are routes that are developed. There are guys that are expected to be open, right? In other words, if you're Matt LaFleur and you're de- heavily dependent on your system, I want a guy that's just going to shut his mouth and listen. I drew this up so that this guy's open. When he comes open, you throw him the ball. End of story. Aaron Rodgers like, forget that, dude. I got another idea. Check this out. Let's say, what if? This guy gets open, right? But I pretend to throw to him, and then I throw it to Devontae, who's double-covered, but I bet I could squeeze that bad boy in there, man. And even if I can't, I know Devontae's coming down with it. Yeah, but but let's just say he's not open and there's a guy wide open in front of your face six yards down the field. You're going to dump it off to him, right? I don't know. Sounds like a weak move. Sounds like you're trying to call me soft. He's the anti-Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers sees a check down and it makes him angry. The check down is an admission of you, you stink at your job. Like, what's the matter, man? You scared? You can give you a check down? Check down? He won't do it. Love lives for that. The problem is, you get these longer drives because you're not taking 20-yard chunks. You're taking five, six-yard chunks, which, again, Trubisky, anybody? This is exactly what he does. He's a 
quote-unquote technician. Dink and dunk and dink and dunk and dink and dunk and dink. And occasionally he throws that big throw, which even Trubisky hits on that a lot. The biggest problem with Jordan Love is the fact that at the end of this drive, somewhere along the line, there's an interception waiting to happen. It's a great drive, a great drive, a great drive, great throw, great... Everything's perfect, 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 perfect. Unbelievably ridiculous interception. What in the world are you doing? After all that work, you blow it. You're the one who orchestrated this, and you're the one who single-handedly ruined it. If you take that away, the just ridiculous what-in-the-world-were-you-thinking throws, I could understand why Matt LaFleur would really like the guy. I don't want him. Not because he can't get better, but I just... I don't want to take that risk. He's got Mitch Trubisky written all over him. You get a little bit scared because he starts dinking and dunking his way down the field, and then suddenly they're on the 20, and then he heaves up an interception in the end zone. I don't want to be that team. I don't want to be anywhere near that team. Jake Fromm is another option. I've only watched a little bit of him because I kind of just wrote him off because nobody seemed to like him. However, in the, oh, i got to do that. I forgot about that. I've got another giveaway to do. My bad. We'll do that tomorrow. Uh, Matt Miller has his uh, scouting notebook. He does not like Jordan Love at all. He's got him like QB8. Jake Fromm, however, I think is like QB3. I, I, I shouldn't say these things off the cuff without knowing, but it's something to that effect. And I went back and watched one of his games, and I thought he was a pretty solid. I mean, he's strictly a pocket passer, but dude has got a rocket for an arm, and I think he's pretty accurate as well. Anyways, uh, bottom line is if you saw that, more or less just disregard it. Because as much as it's a possibility, it's always been a possibility. Similarly, he had comments about the Lions, but this is what we already knew. He throws in terms like the expectation among inside sources, but, I mean, it, it's it's not because they know, it's because they expect, for the same reason that everybody in the draft community expects it, because it makes sense. There's a slightly interesting comment about the Chicago Bears, however. So after his very obvious duh sentence, which is, after trading for Nick Foles, the Bears aren't expected to draft a quarterback in this class. Duh. <laughs> I mean, I guess I shouldn't say duh, because they've done some really dumb stuff in the past. Again, my, my favorite scenario for Chicago is they trade both second-round picks to move up and get Jordan Love. That would just make me the happiest person in the world. However, interesting comment. This is what a plugged-in rival executive, possibly Packers, but pretty unlikely, says they're going to do all they can without a first-round pick to make Trubisky look good and save their jobs. Again, this is entirely speculation. This is not anything that they know, and I think we get lost in the plugged-in executive as though a Minnesota Vikings front office person knows what the Chicago Bears are doing. They don't. He's speaking from what he thinks is going to happen. However, I have heard from people who have heard from people who have heard from people that there is a very good chance that without a good year here, Ryan Pace is gone and um, so is Matt Nagy. In fact, they went on further, I don't remember where I heard this, but to elaborate and say not only is Pace and Nagy getting fired, but that Bienemy will end up getting a head coaching job next year and Matt Nagy will go back to be the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs. I find that an unlikely scenario, but it's possible. The, the reason I think that this is an unusual take is because my assumption is they already know Nick Foles is the guy. And when they say that they're going to have a quarterback competition, they're being nice to Trubisky, but Chicago knows full well Nick Foles is going to be the guy. The interesting thing about this is, and it, it kind of makes sense to a point, they feel that their jobs are tied to Trubisky. So they want to make sure that he looks good. And I, 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 the reason I hope that that's true is because I don't want Nick Foles to take the field because he's a significantly better quarterback than Trubisky. So if they genuinely are afraid that if they bench Trubisky for Nick Foles that their job is in jeopardy, especially if, picture this, if, if they go, let's just say 
they start the season 0-4 or something to that effect. And it becomes abundantly clear there is no playoffs in sight. If you bench Mitch Trubisky and play Nick Foles and win nine games and miss the playoffs, you're going to get fired. Because you not only missed the playoffs, but you benched this quarterback that you traded up in the first round to get. There might be, at least in that scenario, the feeling that we need to do as best a job we can with Mitch Trubisky since we're not getting in the playoffs anyways. Because benching Mitch Trubisky makes us look really, really bad. Although playing him makes you look bad as well. But I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to think in terms of a very egotistical front office person who doesn't want to admit defeat. If we can squeeze out some wins with this guy, and again, the, the closer they get to feeling like the playoffs are out of their reach anyways, the more they may feel like we, we need to keep Mitch Trubisky on the field. Because the only reason you want to put Nick Foles in is because, because listen, as soon as you bench Mitch, you're, you're, you're a dead man. Your, your, your job is done unless you make a deep playoff run. Remember, the Vikings were planning on firing Zimmer after they made the playoffs if they lost to the Saints. That was the rumor. If they lose to the Saints, he's gone. This is a good football team who made it into the playoffs, and they're saying that's not good enough. And then he beat the Saints and then lost, and it's like, well, now what do we do? I guess it was good enough to, to keep him around a little bit. So I think if you bench Mitch Trubisky and play Nick Foles, and even if you limp into the playoffs and get eliminated, I think you're fired. Because Mitch Trubisky was what was keeping you alive. The idea that maybe he'll turn the corner, and if he t- turns the corner, and they, th- th- to an extent, they need him to. We need a big jump in year three, because if we can get Mitch, because the the counterpoint to this is, if Mitch Trubisky plays all year, and plays with his hair on fire, and they get into the playoffs, maybe they don't lose their jobs, right? If I'm correct, and the, the defense is regressing, and the offense is regressing, but Mitch ends up being one of the standouts for this team, and so they don't necessarily get into the, or, or they don't get far into the playoff. But, you know, they, they take one against the Packers. They, they take two against the Lions. Maybe they take one against the Vikings. They get into the playoffs as a wild card and get eliminated. But they've proven that Mitch Trubisky is a good football player. That's probably your best way of, of keeping your job. Although if, I, if I'm running the, the Bears, I don't, I don't think there's anything Ryan Pace could do to, uh, to keep his job other than drafting really, really well and them showing up this year. Because I think he's just done a terrible job with managing draft picks and with utilizing and drafting football players. Again, I've liked some of the guys that he's taken early, but the fact that he's giving away all these picks and then the, the success rate of these last couple picks have been or drafts have been so terrible. If it's me, there's, 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 no, there's no way he's redeeming this. But I, I anyways, I, I found that interesting, and it's exciting that... We all know the right thing to do is just don't even bother with Mitch putting Nick Foles, but there might be an element of, I don't want to get fired, we're going to put in Mitch, and I hope, I hope, I hope that this works. In other words, they're going to be drafting, oh, this is another, (laughs) oh my goodness, I'm getting chills, I'm so excited. It's also saying that their draft is going to be geared toward helping Mitch Trubisky. Imagine that. Think about that. They're investing in a ship that is basically already sunk. So, there's a good chance that we're investing in Matt Nagy's system and Mitch Trubisky's skill set for a team that after next year will not have Matt Nagy or Mitch Trubisky. Meaning somebody else is going to have to come in here and rebuild this team from the ground up. We need to find a new quarterback. We've got a new system, which means we need new wide receivers. We might need a new running back because this guy fit what Matt Nagy wanted, but he doesn't seem to be a very good running back. We need to retool this offensive line. And who knows, the the new coach is probably going to bring in a new defensive coordinator. Why keep that guy? He's not doing a good job anyways. He took this top top defense of the last 
five, ten years, easily a top five defense in the last ten years, and just brought it down to mediocrity. It, I mean, it was it was top ten in 2019, whoop-de-doo. So in other words, the Bears are likely going to be investing not only in now, but in something that is going to have very little impact going forward. Now, obviously, all this blows up if Mitch Trubisky does take a step and they end up getting a real stud-wide receiver in the second round. And then you got Allen Robinson and improved Mitch Trubisky and... Um, you know, Jalen Rager or somebody on the other side, and they just rip this thing wide open, then, you know, that's that's sort of the nightmare scenario. But there is a scenario in which they're going to make a lot of bad decisions based on trying to save their jobs, and then they're all going to get fired, and this team is just going to get blown up and retooled, and it's going to be another two to three years, depending on who they bring in, before this team is even in competition again. Very excited about all of this information. See, not all of these little insider things are, are... And again, that's not even necessarily... That, that's just them saying what I assume they're going to do. I'm just saying it kind of makes sense, and I hope he's right. Because my assumption through this whole thing was that Nick Foles is going to win this quote-unquote competition, which was never a competition to begin with, and then they're just going to run with Nick Foles. I still think that that's what they're going to do. But again, you could see where they would make that really bad decision to say, now nah, we're going to roll with Trubisky. Um, Vikings his little uh, insight into their, again, don't know what the Vikings are doing, but this is what some people say that they expect the Vikings to do. They said wide receiver is a very big need for them at this point, now that they lost Stephon Diggs. However, they're probably not going to do that day one. Instead, they're going offensive and defensive line, which again is a good thing because they got two first round picks, which hurts my soul. However, if they wait until the second round, they're not probably they're very, very, very unlikely to get a player as good as Stephon Diggs. So they are going to regress at wide receiver. Secondly, we've seen them draft offensive linemen. It hasn't gone very well. And beyond that, who in the world are they going to draft? The the they need interior offensive line. And unless they're getting that Cesar Ruiz guy, who, as far as I can tell, is a second round pick. I mean, maybe they'll get a tackle, but I mean, I don't know that it's going to be that much of an upgrade. They don't have great tackles, but they're not terrible. And then defensive line, again, this is just replacing a massive exodus. So the defensive line will go backwards. The offensive line is very unlikely to improve, and I think the wide receivers are going to regress. So I'm scared of the fact that they have two first-round picks. But, again, there's there's a difference between stacking on and just filling holes that are new. right? If the Packers bring in an offensive tackle, we're not going to improve at offensive tackle. If the Packers bring in a wide receiver, we're very likely to improve at wide receiver compared to 2019. And I just see the Vikings in the first two rounds doing nothing but replacing holes that were just created in the offseason, meaning no real progress. Now, as a, as a team, who really knows? But again, what, is the draft going to make your team better? I don't think so. And I, and I don't expect Cousins to get any better. I mean, he played his best season ever last year. Thielen, I don't think, could really get any. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at who are guys that are going to peak. Kendricks is absolutely going to regress. They've got a bunch of great safeties, although they've lost like three safeties. I don't, I, I would, I mean, again, these guys are, you want to talk about peaked, you can't get much better. Not that they necessarily have to regress, but they're not going to get better. So, you know, they're, they're in a tough spot where you want to build for now, which would mean going out and getting, stacking and making your team better than it was last year. But now you're just kind of backfilling and your team continues to get older, and it continues to get more expensive, so you kind of get stuck in this loop where every offseason you're going to have new holes because you got older guys that are leaving or that you can't afford, so they leave, and then you use the draft to fill those holes, and you're kind of just stuck. And and because you're losing some of these more experienced older guys, you're not really getting better unless you really hit in the draft, but your, your replacement rate, you're losing 
more tap. I mean, think of it. They lost Stephon Diggs. They lost Everson Griffin. They lost Linval Joseph. You think they're going to hit even that in the draft? You think they're going to get that much talent? They're not. Those are core pieces of their team. And Everson Griffin and Linval Joseph maybe weren't at their best anymore. But they're still gone. And that's still a, a big part of what made their defense what it was. You look at what they did in, in 2017-2018, what that defense was able to do with Everson Griffin and Linval Joseph. How in the world are they going to get back to that 2018-2017 style defense without those guys? They're not, is the answer. So, anyways, I thought I'd bring up those couple notes. Again, not a ton. Oh, you know what? I think uh, this exact article is where that, that rumor came out that they're about to get fired. Let me just read it quickly and then we'll finish. Essentially, um, Matt Miller tweeted out once they traded up to get Trubisky and then took tight end Adam Shaheen, he tweeted out that a high-level executive just told me that the Chicago Bears general manager, Ryan Pace, quote, just got fired. So he just tweeted out what somebody told him. They went on to the playoffs, and Bears fans just ripped him apart, like, oh, what now, kind of thing, right? Pace inexplicably won executive of the year, which was always stupid. I said that at the time, that that doesn't make any sense. Now that's proven to be correct. However, with the Bears falling apart in 2019, and Shaheem struggling, and Trubisky being trashed, the uh, source, who is now apparently out of football, texted me this week with reminders that he was right and that sometimes what appears to be a hit early can end up being a miss. When I asked for a prediction on what happens in Chicago, he said the rumor is both Pace and Matt Nagy will be fired after this season, with Nagy returning to Kansas City to replace Eric Bieniemy when he becomes head coach after the 2020 season. So there's already talk that these guys are done, which is just it's baffling, and I don't think Bears fans realize what's brewing under their feet. They still believe they have this dominant defense. They still believe they're just a Mitch Trubisky away, which, by the way, I said that last year based on the assumption that they were able to continue what they were doing, which I didn't assume that because I was the one that was saying they were going to regress. But I'm just saying, if they were able to do it, all they need is a better version of Mitch Trubisky. The problem is that's already done. It's proven it out, the 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 the. It's already in the works that these guys are about to get fired because Trubisky has already proven he's not the guy. So much so that they brought in Foles, who they, everybody knows what Foles is. He's decent enough to make you look competent. What, here's what Foles is. Foles is a guy that's going to get them enough wins that they're not going to be able to draft a quarterback high next year. That's what Foles is. I, I, don't think they re, I think Bears fans still feel like they've got a shot. I think if they can get some better play from a quarterback and they still think they have got a top five, top three defense, which they absolutely do not. I think they genuinely believe that th- this thing could turn around, and they don't realize this thing's done. That you, You've got the, the McCaskies and, and you know, whoever it is that's running that, that boat basically just waiting for the first couple losses to say, yeah, let's put that in ink. I'm not saying he's going to be fired by week two, but it's, it's going to be pretty much a done deal. Unless they come out swinging and just dominate, this is over. So, anyways... I got a prediction for you. How about they get fired? Matt Nagy comes to Green Bay as the offensive coordinator. How about that? I think Matt Nagy's a good good offensive coordinator. Nothing against our guy, but, I mean, he was with the Jaguars. I mean, what do you do? Anyways, we'll leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Monday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.